0: Welcome to Canada's Podcast. Hello, I'm Mario Tonaguzzi, Managing Editor of Canada's Podcast. Joining me today on Edmonton's Podcast is blues musician Gary Martin, uh, based out of uh, uh, Edmonton right now. Thanks, uh, Gary, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. All right, let's talk a little bit about your history first, uh, uh, Gary. Where are you from originally? Born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, you know, started my music and and life learning lessons in Chicago. And and uh, and 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 uh, was music always part of your life even as a youngster? Or?
1: Yes, my mom was a, a singer songwriter. My granddad was a musician, and I started very young as a kid, mimicking them and trying to play the blues. And later on. In 1965, my uncle Hubert Sumlin, the guitarist for Howlin' Wolf, gave me my first lesson and taught me my first blues song that he had recorded. And uh, the rest of the rest of my life,
0: I've been pursuing it. All right. So tell me, uh, Gary, when uh, you know your your story about coming to Canada and how did that come about? I was living in Detroit, and I met
1: a young lady, and we got together and found out that we were having a child. And she decided she was coming back to Canada to have the the baby. And I told her, well, you can't go and take my baby without taking me. So we landed in London, Ontario. And that's why I started my Canadian career in music as was in London, Ontario. And, you know, I got here and since there was very low ratio of gangs and guns, which really was a big plus to me and a beautiful way of living, you know, coming in 1977, Canada was really, really open arms. And I just decided to stay here and make it home.
0: So what were you playing uh, initially uh, in London, Ontario? I was playing blues and I was doing a a bit, you know, a rhythm, blues, and soul. I was playing mainly rhythm, blues, and soul. That's what I was playing, when I came to Canada. Okay. And uh, just in clubs uh, around that area? or
1: Yes, I did. Uh, I hosted a jam. Also, my band at the time, Affirmation was the name of the band. We did a lot of touring, and I was very fortunate in the late 70s to get an opportunity to play with the London Symphony Orchestra through the uh, means of the uh, uh, Canadian um, uh, Music Association, the Union. They gave me the, the nod, and I went and performed with them. And I went on to Toronto and Montreal and played with some pretty outstanding musicians and
0: groups. Okay. Now, what, uh, now what brought you uh, initially to Calgary?
1: I was working with what we called CC Caravan, which was really the Motown touring bands. Uh, that was uh, Choker Campbell and Joe Hunter. I was on tour out there with them and came across into Calgary. Kind of checked the place out. Wasn't sure if I was going to stay or not. Married my second wife. Came back out west. And in Vancouver, at that time, the music industry was dying. And uh, very clicky. So I had friends here who had been in the band, Divine Taylor, some of the other Chop Chop, different ones. And I'd spoken to them. and They told me about, you know, Calgary music industry was starting to open. So we moved to Calgary, and I've had
0: a great time since then. Okay, now one uh now just uh for full disclosure, uh Gary and I met uh, years ago uh when you were first in Calgary and uh and you were working at that time uh with youth at risk, uh so to speak. Uh can you talk a little bit about that, what you were doing in that regard?
1: Yes, I specialize in youth at risk programs, design programs, and also work with youth in the community. We all, also I was involved with the rehabilitating ex-gang members. So when I got in Chicago, and when I got into Calgary, I contacted Alderman Small and I explained what I was doing and he pointed me to a different directions, including the Calgary police. Then I teamed up with a buddy of mine, Dennis Rowray. We put an organization together and we started uh, going through the why in the schools and stuff and anti-rape programs and Also, you know, teaching kids how to avoid gangs and what would be the gang issue. And I I did that straight through and still here in Edmonton about to do the same thing. But that was one of the bigger things that I did outside of my music career. Okay. And you moved up to Edmonton when? I moved to Edmonton three years ago. Right after, right during the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a, you know, when you look at the the Canadian music scene when it comes to blues, uh how would you describe it uh, uh, today compared to to, to you know uh, some of those great places like a Chicago or uh, elsewhere? Well, what I find in Western Canada,
1: we don't get enough of, of uh, publicity if we live locally. That's the issue I find, no matter where our status is we we don't have sufficient coverage from the public to reach yeah. out, you know, and let them know what we do and and on two, and probably most important of all, we do have venues that are open to the blues, but trying to make that work out where people are aware of it and follow it and and you know and pay to see you play live is still a struggle, but it's much better than what it was when I came (laughs) in the mid eighties. I can say that for sure. You know, it's, it's much better. And since I've came to Edmonton, you know, a new start, you know, I'm the new kid on the block. So I'm starting to get a lot of little openings and and doing things as well, back into my casinos and stuff like that. So the blues, it, we need help by media allowing us to come and be seen in people's living rooms that's probably the bottom and radio as well without having to record or having to bring in some americans because that's where the issue comes
0: yeah yeah now you do uh, still do a lot of touring and you go into the states quite a bit uh, right yes i last
1: uh, uh, last year i was at the king biscuit blues festival i was in Clarksdale playing with all my friends and then, just a couple of months ago, I was at Buddy Guy's in Chicago. I recorded one of Tamika uh, Dixon's um, uh, a song that she wrote. I'm covering it. And Peter Hurley, the writer for Living Blues, he's put an article in the Living Blues, the November issue, will have an article on me and talking about what I'm doing in Edmonton and the blues and you know, and my career.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Now, uh, you know one... Uh... The people you've played with over your career, can you name a few that, that uh, would be recognizable to all of us? Well, I will start with uh,
1: performing with my uncle, Hubert Sumlin, when he was doing his thing. I also uh, performed with the Legendary Platters and was the musical director for them across Canada, the, the Canadian Legendary Platters. Also, I was in the, the first black group to be nominated for a junior called Something Extra. And the highlight of my career outside of blues, which is a lot, was working with Chaka Campbell and Joe Hunter and then eventually the Funk Brothers before they all passed. I graduated out of their school of music, so to speak, their university, mm-hmm. and did two recordings with them and did some touring with them as well. So that's, that, yeah. that's has my career, you know, since in
0: Canada. So, yeah, so Gary, why do you think blues uh, music is becoming more popular these days? They're uh, getting in Canada?
1: A lot of people got the blues. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the economy across you know, to the crime. A lot of people a lot of a lot of us Canadians are confused at such an outgrowing number of violence and you know with lip making a living just to try to keep roof over your head and the food. So the blues is a perfect way of understanding and finding a way of dealing. The blues music heals you, but it also gives you affirmation to it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to 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 feel like there's no hope, but then we give you hope at the end of our songs. We give you the hope.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when that, uh, you're, you're looking at uh, uh, being a musician, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Now, obviously, you've made a career of it. Uh, it's not an easy life, is it? No. No, it's not. And when you get into
1: music, you're definitely going to need mentors. Uh, this is the biggest issue I've found, too. A lot of the musicians in my age group, most of them have retired. So a lot of the younger generation don't have mentors. You need mentors to navigate yourself through the music system. and. The biggest catch is I tell a lot of young musicians, they ask me, he says, well, you know, I want to be a professional musician. What should I do? I said, if you want to be a professional musician, I'll give you one choice. You go, you do not work for a whole year. You try to make it as a living. If you can make it that first year, you're a musician. If you don't, go get some education, pay your bills, and do it on the side. So it's either either or, or. Uh, process. It's, it's not one that you want to keep hacking at year after year after year, you know, just, just depleting all your funds and dying. It, the most important part is learning the craft because music, musicians and music is a craft. And a lot of musicians doesn't understand that you have to pour a lot more time than you would normally do in the other careers, you know, because yeah. it's mainly a, a OJT on the job training issue yeah. that once you get into the public you know that's the catch where most musicians don't understand so i tell them you know try a year and if that year is not working for you then go and get something that will secure your finances and still keep working at it
0: so what do you do uh, you know uh, as a musician uh you know especially if you're an aspiring musician and just starting out or or whatever um uh, do you basically take any gig Let's say, and uh, just even if it's in front of five people,
1: that's the other <laughs> catch. <laughs> you always want to be in the public. You want the public to know you. But with young aspiring musicians, is most important. I'm gonna keep reemphasizing finding your mentors, going to the jam sessions. You know, wherever the jam session go and meet the musician. Try to catch it with the veterans, so you can get some idea and guidance on how. To navigate yourself through there because there's a lot of pitfalls with music. A lot of times you're playing, people don't pay you. you know, it, 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 it has its ups and downs, shall I say. But the main thing is, if you're playing and the people are liking what you're playing, they're interested in what you're
0: playing, you're probably going to have a decent career. So you know, um, uh, you know, I remember reading something uh, once uh, about uh, Burton Cummings, right? And guess who? And uh, how they, you know, they're from Winnipeg, and but they, uh, they, they, uh, they grabbed a, a hotel in a Scunjee hotel in Regina, uh, you know, when they were first starting out, and used Regina as a base, and then they started traveling to all these small little Saskatchewan towns and playing. Uh, Is that the key in terms of exposure just to play anywhere and everywhere? Well, you're definitely gonna need
1: a home base to build your followers. That's gonna be the first thing. You're trying to build followers. You're trying to get people to buy into your program or your brand of music. And of course, as if you can tour, especially starting out, if you can tour as much and get to see many people, that opens the door for your career to, you know, to move forward. But it's a lot of hard work and a lot of small money. <laughs> <I'll say laughs> it it's a lot of small money. You have to really, you know, love it to push from, you know, making the small money to making money to make a
0: living. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's the biggest uh, venue you've played in? I, the biggest venue i played in was the Chicago Blues Fest. Played for over
1: 100,000 people. And the next biggest venue was playing at the Grey Eagle Casino and playing the PA. Uh, all the casinos that in, in, in the you know in the Saskatchewan Calgary area. Those are some of the biggest venues I've been at. You know, and, and including the Soft Cedars
0: with the Funk Brothers as well. Uh, okay, and and what about the smallest venue? <laughs> oh my lord! <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: remember once my my man, who had a five piece, and it was a club. that hired us. This agent brought us in. And they had a little teeny stage, and they expected all of us to fit on. And it probably held probably about sixty people. The people were quite enthusiastic. We had a great time, but boy, was it a crowded! And also, I did a uh, James Bond, uh, Jane Bond. She has a barbecue house there, and I, me and the band, we came there for a few weeks. And her place was, you know, real intimate as well, and we had a great time. And of course, back in the day it was Marty's Cafe is where Marty gave me the break, you know, and
0: that was another small venue as well. Yeah. At what point in your life uh, did you um, figure that, hey, I could make a career out of this? I never thought of it as a career. I
1: just had a need to play for people and make them feel good. I always, whenever I perform, I want to make people forget about the troubles of the week and look forward. When I got with the Funk Brothers is when I really realized that, yeah, this is my career. Up until then, even with the Something Extra and some of the other things, I was still real young and didn't quite understand where I was sitting in the position I was with until I got with the the elders. And then they they kind of put my head on straight and made me understand that this could be very, very good for me. How old are you, Gary? 69. I'll
0: be 70 next July. Okay. So, what, is, what are your thoughts? Like how long are you going to keep doing this? Uh, in the blues, we say we do it till we drop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will not quit until I cannot do it anymore. It's, it's you know, with, with, with the blues, it is a lifelong journey. Every time I pick that guitar up, there's something new I've discovered and something more enthusiastic that I'm willing to perform in the public.
0: Now we all know uh, that uh, people uh, who are guitar players love their uh, guitars. How many do you have? Well, <laughs>
1: I have on rotation about 7 guitars. Cuz I I I use some and then once they, you know, start to wear out, I retire them, but I still keep them and then yeah. I buy more. So I got about 5 guitars that I use on my, you know, as, as
0: normal so how many guitars do you think you would have all together? About eight all together. I have eight all together. No, but uh, over the years, like uh, I related
1: how much? Oh, my goodness. At least a couple of hundred. Oh, wow. Because I, I, I normally don't change. Once I find a guitar that fits me, I don't change, but I wear it out. Because all my life I've been doing jams and playing every weekend. So the guitar gets a
0: heck of a workout. Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. Uh okay then. So what um uh, you know when uh when you look back uh you know uh, and and growing up and i am just curious um uh, were you subjected not subjected to or uh were you part of that gang scene uh in terms of uh seeing it or witnessing it is that why you got involved uh with youth at risk? When I
1: was sixteen years old, my buddy and I—he was fourteen—and uh, we were coming from my house, going to his house, and we were we we ran across the gang territory. The gang eventually tried to rob us, which we really didn't have much money. They jumped us. In the course of that, thirty-three days later, he died in a coma, never recovering. It was beat unmerciful. I got away. A year. I was on the witness protection plan with the police and everybody trying to keep the gangs from killing me because I was trying, I was going to court, but because I did not witness his actual beating, that could not go any further than outside of mine. At that time, I was very lost. I was very hurt, very angry. Yeah. And I sat with my family and my, my Catholic priests and, you know, my whole family and decided that I would start a martial arts school. Um, Because I was just just received my brown belt going to my black belt. I went to my community on the west side in Chicago, and we went to a pastor and took the church. And we opened up a martial arts school two days a week free. Within three years, we cut into the gang's activity so bad with the membership that they moved out of our community. And that's what started me. You know, I used that to educate young people and to keep the gang membership very low by giving activities. Yeah.
0: What, um, uh, uh, Gary, I just want to return just to uh, the music again. I, like, what do you feel when you get up on that stage?
1: I feel like I'm still 11, 12, 14 years old. It's <laughs> like my living room. When I get on that stage and I see all those people smiling and anticipating what's going to happen, my life transform, and I become this person that just wants to please and party right along with them. And and for three or four hours, I'm lost and immersed into them and, and the environment in which I'm performing in.
0: Ah, excellent, excellent. And uh, do you ever think of uh, or you ever thought over those years of, uh, of a, a different genre of mu- music playing? Not really because does,
1: my music is my culture. you know, like, like I said, my granddad, my mom, it's a culture, you know it's more than just an art form. You know, mind is a culture. So I feel that I'm the best at doing that. And I've played other genres of music, rock and other things. Yeah. But blues and the blues, funk and soul, that's where my heart is.
0: Yeah. And, and how do you feel like uh, when you're playing that type of music?
1: Like I'm 14, 21. I don't feel my age at all. I'm dancing and jumping and partying right along with them. I, I just, it, my whole life transforms as soon as I
0: start performing. All right, wonderful. Well, thanks, uh, Gary, for joining us today. Can okay, can I give a couple of plucks here? You definitely can. Okay,
1: every Saturday in Edmonton, I'm host a jam at the Commercial Hotel from three to eight. I've just finished. We just finished doing a, a special for the Blues Fest, December the first and second. We will be at the Great Eagle Casino in the bar. I'll be performing there with my Motown show, and. December 31st, I will be at the Red Deer Casino for New Year's. So all those who are looking to come and party, meet us in Red Deer. We're going to party up a whole storm for that night. And I really <laughs> want to thank you. And it's great to see all of the great things you're doing, Mario. I'm really, really, really proud to know you. Let me tell you that for
0: sure. Well, thanks very much, Gary. I really appreciate it. All right. That was Gary Martin who is a blues musician based out of Edmonton. I'm Mario Tonaguzi, managing editor of Canada's Podcast. Thanks for joining us today.